I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This is John Levy and you're listening to Rebel Radio. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up? What up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh-huh. Rebel Radio is going down. Would you say Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. All right, what's up? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. I'm your host, Josh Levine. This episode is brought to you live from South by Southwest, courtesy of our friends at Dropbox. Uh, They brought us out there to do a different episode live on stage with Catherine Burns of The Moth as part of the Dropbox podcast studio. If you didn't catch that one, check our iTunes or SoundCloud or YouTube or somewhere for it and make sure you listen to it. That was a great one. Uh, While I was out there, I caught up with today's guest, John Levy. He's a uh, self-described nerd. And he's, more importantly, he's the author of The 2 AM Principle, Discover the Science of Adventure. It's a really fascinating book about his adventures in life and uh, how you can lead a life filled with adventure. It's really great stuff. John's a behavioral scientist. And he's also the host of of what he calls the Influencer Dinners, which is a series of dinners that are now happening all over the world. They're invitation only, and he invites, let me get this right, I think he invites nine strangers who don't know each other. They all have to help cook, and no one can, uh, you can't give your last name or your profession. And throughout the course of the evening, people try to figure out who everybody is, and uh, according to him, it makes for just a really fascinating experience that takes people out of their comfort zone and out of their their usual process of, of networking and whatever. Uh, his interview, I think, is really fascinating. He's gonna take us through his, his extraordinary career and his secrets that you can use for getting outside of your own comfort zone. So I hope you dig it. We're gonna have a lot of fun with this right after our EDM.com track of the week. Any harder, stay a little longer. Oh, 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 and maybe 
was our edm.com track of the week that was in static with a track called a little longer that's on the echelon label check out soundcloud.com echelon for more just like that right now let's get into our interview with john levy well, thanks for doing this i, I just uh was researching interesting folks that I wanted to meet in South by and I saw what you're doing and, and it looks amazing. The more I've dug into it, it looks like you built an incredible life and, and career for yourself. And, um, you know, it's particular of interest to me as I was telling you, you know, some of what I do is sort of considered influencer marketing and, mm -hmm. and I'm, um, I've been for a long time fascinated with the, with what influence really is and, and you know what that means and the, the role that it plays in our lives beyond you know simply trying to get people to buy stuff yep um so uh so anyway thank you for making time oh, it's my pleasure are you kidding uh i think that it's a really important conversation to have uh i get kind of tired when people talk about influencer influencers sure as people who have large Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat followings. Right. I, I think that there's a place and an importance for that conversation. Yeah. Uh, but the things that actually impact us or the things that influence our business and so on are actually being affected by people who are completely or often under the radar. Right. And yeah. so it's, I got really interested in the topic about seven, eight years ago, before this whole thing of influencers even existed. It was like 2008, I think. Mm. Uh, I was uh, sitting in a seminar, and the seminar leader said, the fundamental element that defines the quality of our lives are the people we surround ourselves with sure. and the conversations that we have with them. Yeah. And I got really curious if that's true. First of all, how true is it? And second, how do I curate the most impactful people I can around me? Uh, and how can I bring them together? Mm. And so I started um, looking at how true it is, and I came across research that showed, uh, it was by Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler, and yeah. uh, they wrote a book called Connected. I loved it. It's yeah. a phenomenal book, but yeah. one of the basic premises that we have an effect about four degrees out, mm. that anything from obesity to uh, marriage to smoking to all these different characteristics we don't only impact uh, our direct friends, but their friends, their friends, and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, and the impact can be pretty significant. So obesity, if you have an obese friend, your probability of obesity increases by 45%. Yeah. Your friends by 25%, their friends by 
and then they are friends by 5%, which is crazy. That's crazy. That means people that you have never met and probably will never meet are defining it, how skinny or fat you are. Yeah. Um, so I began the process by modeling the behavior of highly influential people. Mm. And I really need to begin by defining what it is that an influential person is. And so I kind of view them on four levels. Uh, the, high, the top is what you'd consider a global influencer, like okay. uh, Sir Richard Branson, uh, Bill Clinton, you know, people who have a real global impact. I'd probably put Elon Musk right, mm -hmm. on that list, the queen. You're not going to market to them. It would just be a waste of time. The, you're not going to become their best friend. Their life is full. Oprah's not looking for a new bestie. She has Gail. Yeah. Uh, so you can try, but it's just not worth it. It's like you're better off knowing their chief of staff. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, because that's where the real influence actually lies. Uh, and so the next grouping is industry influencers. Okay. And it's important to make the distinction because these are people who have an impact on their industry or an ability to affect thought leadership or change either through uh, previous success, right? Like you sold a major company in your industry sure. uh, or you uh, have a position like you're the CMO of a major company, sure. right? Uh, or you have real thought leadership, you're a journalist or you're, uh, you come up with ideas that really can lead the industry. Mm -hmm. um, and those were the ones I really wanted to focus on. And then the next group down is community influencers. These are the people that like liquor brands always want to reach because okay. uh, they'll get all of their friends drinking something or eating something or doing. Yeah. And it, they, you, they'll often have an impact of like, you know, a few hundred or a few thousand or they're up and coming, right? And then you have your personal influencers, like your mom, your dad. Mm -hmm. well, chances are, your, your parents might be famous, I don't know, but like chances are nobody's heard of them, but they have a huge impact on you. My dad, oddly enough, is, is semi-famous in China. Oh, really? He's huge about. in China? He, he, he actually is n not huge, but he's, he's not small in China. Amazing. We'll talk about that when we have more time. But, uh, uh, so maybe in, but in this case, yes. But it's pretty far removed from, from, as you said, like several degrees from anyone that we've come in contact with. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so what I realized was that I wanted to focus on understanding and connecting with industry influencers. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a few reasons. One is that their lives are not so full and so mission-driven that uh, that you can still connect with them. And they tend to have worked very hard to get to their position. So they value and understand uh, community and network. Mm -hmm. right? um, and so I modeled their behavior and what I ended up coming from that was that there's four characteristics that cause these people to engage uh, in a way that that really stands out. And I built the influencers dinner out of it. So mm -hmm. um, after a year of kind of design, um, we started doing a dinner where 12 people are invited at a time. Uh, but there's a bunch of catches. One right. is uh, it's completely anonymous. You literally are not allowed to discuss your last name or talk about your career at all. Wow. You can talk about your kids and sure. vacations and all that. Yeah. And uh, then the second is that you have to cook for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so over the course of about three hours, everybody cooks dinner, sits down to eat. When they're seated, uh, we pick one of the guests and everybody guesses what they do professionally. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there's a big reveal and you find out that you're sitting with the editor-in-chief of a major magazine, the president of a television network, uh, a celebrity from a popular TV show, 
a Grammy award-winning musician, whatever it is, right? Yeah. I've hosted close to a thousand people. Oh wow! Uh, across a hundred and nine dinners, we just finished. Hundred and tenth is next yeah. week. Cool. Uh, we're in eight cities and two countries, and continuing to expand globally. Nice. Um, that's foster this amazing, amazing uh, community. Yeah. Um, and I think what kind of sets it apart is that. Uh, one is it's built on human behavioral science. I'm a scientist. I have I take the brilliant work done by uh, people in the industry and my colleagues, and I look at how to apply it so that we become better at creating friendships, right? Yeah. So the dinner isn't really a dinner. Dinner is just a byproduct of a shared activity, and sure. that activity causes us to bond. Yeah. So I've, I find that fascinating, and I have a bunch of questions about that. But I, but I want to, like... Let's go back. Mm -hmm. I w I'm interested in how you got to be this person that, that has that sure. type of specific type of curiosity. And I also think, um, you know, I've read a bit, you describe yourself as, as a nerdy kid. That's very up. true. Yeah. Um, so, my first, so what were, first of all, what were you into as a kid? What, what was the nerdy version the nerdy, of John Levy? Um, the nerdy, I like how you say nerdy version as if the <laughs> only version of John Levy isn't nerdy. Um, I'm super flattered. Uh, okay, so childhood. Uh, I was pretty unpopular, like really unpopular. The kids in my class, I had some friends, but it wasn't, I was like bottom of the totem pole. Okay. I loved Star Trek. Okay. And like sci-fi and all that, and yeah. I on weekends that's what I'd watch. I love spending time on my computer. Like the early '90s, I was on the internet in when I was like 12. Yeah. Which, for those listeners who grew up with in a world of internet, so like if you're 20 years old you, or 18 years old, there's no world without internet. Right. That's how you know. Yeah. Uh, but when I was 12 years old, I had a modem. I got it as a birthday gift from a family friend and <laughs> I had an AOL account and I dialed up and went online and sure. you know, I remember uh, I, this very strange experience Jerry Brown was staying at my parents place okay. uh, in New York while he was campaigning and we, he has this tradition that he stays at uh, supporters houses Oh, neat. and he walks through my room this, I was probably 16 or past my room and he's like what's that thing you know it's, it's, it's strong voice and I'm like you mean the computer he's like yeah what's that super clunker <laughs> and and like I literally showed him I think what a web page was for oh the first time or something hilarious. completely absurd yeah um, but yeah I studied uh, I learned to program as a child I studied computer science and math and economics at NYU yeah I have two of the degrees I don't know which two uh, to this day I have no clue I, I think I completed the requirements for all of them but so you know, the definition of, of nerdiness, and we're here in South by Southwest at a, you know, a tech conference that uh, presumably there's a lot of nerds here. Let's hope so. Yeah. Um, but the definition of that is changing, right? Certainly over the yeah. last 10 years. I think the, the uh, public perception of it has changed. Right. right? So the, when I look at what allowed me to be socially acceptable, uh, I think that there were three major cultural events. Um, and they're kind of disparate, but I, I think it'll make sense as okay. I run through this. Um, one is the creation of Comic-Con. Mm -hmm. um, because 
when Comic-Con came about, now it's something completely different, but when Comic-Con came about, or Wizard World more properly, Comic-Con, which is a different grouping of them, mm -hmm. um, there was no unifying force for the geek or nerd community. Yeah. There, you, you either had a couple of friends who liked Dungeons and Dragons, or, right. uh, but it, it fostered this community of people who really care about this like new mythology of mm -hmm. heroes. Mm -hmm. uh, and as those people grew up and were part of the community, they ended up in major positions at companies. And so yeah. you, you see this evolution. Uh, the second is the creation of the iPhone. Mm -hmm. uh, so before the iPhone, there was no consumer tech fandom. Right. Right? Like it yeah. became cool to have a supercomputer in your hand. Uh, only one of the features is a phone, mm -hmm. but now you have a supercomputer that does literally everything else, yeah. and nobody uses it as a phone anymore, but it became cool to have the service apps and to yeah. produce those technologies, right? Yeah. And then the third is the first dot-com billionaire. Okay. Once it became clear that, yeah, you know, before that you could have a really good job as an engineer and sure. a programmer, but nobody was making fortunes. And the moment that that changed, then all of a sudden, when those three things came together, it became like, oh, you have a startup? That's cool. Right. Right? Like, oh, yeah, you're sure. a tech geek? Oh, yeah. super cool. Maybe you could program something, you know? Maybe, right. you know, and everybody ends up working. Like that cliche that, like, oh, yeah, 10 years from now, all you losers will be working for me. Right. I don't know why he'd want to hire a bunch of losers <laughs> or she would want to hire a bunch of losers, but, like, yes. So you want to have the option. Yes, that's a great um, analysis of that. So, so, you know, my question is, uh, for parents, is it a good idea then to raise nerdy kids? Because you, you now have this life that's full of adventure and, and interesting people and, and all of that. And, and were you one of those popular losers? Oh. <laughs> like, you know, I, I know it's hard to kind of go back and project. Yes. So I, I think, I, and also just for the sake of the listeners, uh, so they understand what the other side of my life is like. Yeah. I spend a lot of time traveling around the world uh, studying what causes people to live exciting lives. Yeah. So I wrote a popular book called The 2AM Principle, Discover the Science of Adventure, and it combines a model for that I developed based on experience of that at any moment you could make an experience adventurous. Mm -hmm. And I back it up with scientific research from these just brilliant minds and the crazy stories like I got crushed by a bull in Pamplona, I battled Kiefer Sutherland in Drunken Jenga and ended up crashing his family Thanksgiving. I, yeah. Like within 10 seconds of meeting the woman behind the duty-free counter at Stockholm Arlanda Airport, she had agreed to leave her job and travel with me. So uh, the book is craziness, right? Yeah. So I guess if your, your question is, if I were popular in grade school, uh, would I have this awesomely kind of crazy life? Uh, and the answer is one I don't know. Yeah, right? of it's, sure. it's super, uh, but it's I think super cliche that like the kids that were popular back then. I don't know if like they. It almost seems like they burned out early and and Possibly. And, and now they're yeah. not like and now the geeks are the ones that are doing cool stuff. Right. Uh, so. Uh, I think the best example of this is if you ever see the read the book David and Goliath mm -hmm. uh, by Malcolm Gladwell, yeah, and he talks about how uh, 
dyslexics essentially have a section of their brain that doesn't function the same way as everybody else's. And so it makes them more prone to certain issues. I think it's like doubles your chances of ending up in prison and mm -hmm. uh, social issues and all that. But if you look at like cor corporate CEOs, a absurdly disproportionate number of them are dyslexic. Really? And the reason is, according to Gladwell, that when you have something to overcome, mm. it forces you to develop skills that nobody else has. Sure. And as a byproduct, it makes you significantly more successful later in life. Mm -hmm. So I think that it was the, it was not something that I would have hoped for, mm -hmm. but, yeah. with, but it defined me. Yeah. And so I'm not happy it happened, but I'm thankful for what came out of it. Yeah. And so I'm a strong believer that we are our best when we are doing something just outside of our skill set. Mm -hmm. That when we have something to reach for that's not so difficult that it cripples us, yeah. but not so easy that it's boring. So how do you do that? How do you know? Because, you know, I buy into that philosophy, mm -hmm. but sometimes, you know, it's my own experience, right? It, it, it's hard to know where that line is, right? It's hard to know, like, you know, I think you either get too adventurous, like, you take <laughs> on something that's just not going to happen, yeah, or, you know, you maybe trick your brain into thinking that you're stretching yourself when you're really not. Right. So, I think that it is going to be in direct proportion to how uncomfortable you are. Mm -hmm. So, and you could completely misjudge and agree to do something thinking it's not a big deal and it ends up being... Sure. Like becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah. For anybody out there who's thinking of becoming an entrepreneur... Don't do it. Uh, you gotta love, like you gotta want it bad because on any, like it's so cliche to say this, but on any given day, I feel like a total piece of crap, like the most incredible human being in the world, thinking I'm then going to go bankrupt right. and then thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be a millionaire. Like, sure. and all that stuff happens every single day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I always say you gotta learn to love roller coasters, yeah. which I don't. <laughs> but metaphorically, yes. because it, the emotional highs and lows. Uh, so I think that the, the simple answer is that you, you have to judge how uncomfortable you're willing to be. I believe yeah. that the size of our life is in proportion to our w willingness to be uncomfortable. And, uh, and that's where it's in the discomfort that the magic in life happens. So how uncomfortable was it? Because, you know... I think the influencer dinner is a brilliant idea, mm -hmm. um, and then you've got to get people there. Yeah. Right, and there, you know, I can, I can imagine, especially <laughs> oh in those God. first few couple, years. No, forget couple. First few years. Fair I'm, enough. Where, but you know, I, you know, I've had that experience where you're like, oh, well, what if no one, you know, if no one comes, at least then I'm the only one that knows about yes. it. But like, what if two people show up, and then we just have this shitty evening? Yeah. So, right? so where did the confidence come from? to reach out to strangers? That's a great question. So I'm, in retrospect, I'm not a fan of just going full force into things. Mm. Um, 
The first dinner were people I knew but that didn't know each other. Okay. The second dinner was mostly people I knew that didn't know each other, and I yeah. got recommendations from other guests. Mm -hmm. And it kept building like that. Um, but, you know, nowadays, uh, by dinner like four or five, I was at events like Art Basel or something. I'd walk up to people and I would just literally test out different pitches. So yeah. I'd see, oh, that person's from television. Somebody tells me, oh, I'd walk up to them. And I embarrassed myself half the time. Yeah. And like, but seriously, like, I felt like a total jerk half the time. Yeah. Um, because I'd totally mess it up. I wouldn't explain it well. And I had to go through this really painful growth process, an iterative process, to understand how to express what I was doing in a way that didn't make me sound like some crazy fanboy. Right. Um, yeah. And it took a while. And I still uh, struggle with it sometimes. Uh, but. You know, I just met the editor-in-chief of the New York Times, and mm -hmm. he was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. We wrote about you. Yeah. you know? uh, and I just approached some famous comedian, and uh, who else? Like, you know, and I'll, I'll walk up to people all the time and just do it uh, and talk to them about it because I've developed a, uh, uh, what's it called? Like, I'm calloused at this mm -hmm. point. Like, they don't want to come, whatever. We have waiting lists of over 4,000 people. Well, sure, now, yeah. right? Uh, but it it, yeah. it wasn't what it is now. Now it happens every almost every week mm. uh, in three cities wow. every month. Yeah. Um, and are you at all of them? Yeah, oh, I have wow. to be. Yeah. Uh, the rule is that I have to be at all of them so that it never jumps the shark. Right. So it never loses the community feeling. Yeah. Uh, and I also have a whole slew of spin-off programs that we develop. So we have one called the Salon, which yeah. is uh, we have sixty people come up to a hundred. And then we have three famous speakers will speak. So like Bill Nye, the science guy, followed mm. by uh, like Bjarke Ingels, the famed architect. And cool. then we'll have like Razel, who's one of the former Roots mm -hmm. Reform. Mm -hmm. uh, and that'll be an evening and it's pretty intimate and wonderful wow. and it happens in living rooms throughout the country. Amazing. Uh, and you know, same rules apply. You can't talk about what you do. Yeah. And then um, I have all these other secret spin-off things that we do for the community members oh, so cool. uh, to keep them bonded. So we have one coming up on the 29th we partnered with the company for. Yeah. And the, frankly, I think that the way I designed it was kind of stupid in retrospect because it's not designed to make money. Right. And when people hear that, they're like, are you kidding with the brands I work with? This right. is worth millions. I'm like, yeah, I know it's worth millions, but I did it because it's something I really cared about. And yeah. I still pay for it. It cost me a fortune. Yeah, so, um, wh why? What, like, why, uh, you know, if, if you're an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. you're the, the, the prevailing wisdom is like, you know, like you pivot to, to a way that makes money. Yeah. Right? And so, why not do that? So, there's a few answers. One is, um, I'm all for financial security, right? Uh, but research has shown that more money doesn't make you more happy. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to be an effective behavioral scientist, I really have to kind of try to live by the research. Okay. So I don't necessarily focus on earning as much as I could. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to, I could go into like finance and be a quant or whatever with my skill sets and understanding of modeling and all that. Right. So, um, so I make an active choice to live a high quality lifestyle versus a high income lifestyle. Mm -hmm. uh, the second is that 
these people engage with one another. Uh, I'm, I'm heavily drawn into uh, community. I, I, that's what I really care about is the quality of my life is more based on the community that's built around me than it is on having an amazing business. Yeah. Not that I shouldn't have both, but uh, I was I, probably the only scientist that went to like the Emmys and the Grammys this year. Sure. Uh, which is kind of weird, yeah. frankly. Um, but it's because of the generosity of the community. Yeah. And if I was ever really in financial trouble, there's several probably billionaires that would bail me out <laughs> that are in there, but that's also, I've never approached anybody for money from there. Yeah. So it's, um, I think that the answer is that I get the privilege of engaging in pro projects that I care about, mm -hmm. that are fun and interesting, that put me at that, like, just outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. Um, and that I'm excited to do. And I'm willing to trade having a, you know, company that sells for a hundred million dollars or whatever to do that. Uh, and would I prefer to have even more financial security? Yeah, it'd be great to be retired at age, whatever, 36. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it's not like life would change very much. Mm -hmm. It would mean that I would take probably a couple more flights somewhere. I don't know. I'm already on a plane almost every three days. But, right. but um, you've got to really ask yourself what you want from your life rather than, yeah. like, what can you amass? So how do you make money? Um, I'm, so I'm a scientist. Book so sales. Oh, yes, I that's it. I know uh, that's a road to riches. Yes, I can retire any day <laughs> that's now. That's right. Um, for those of you who don't know uh, how things work in publishing, <laughs> um, you'll, an author will get an advance, which is like a chunk of money up front, and then they have to work off that advance based on book sales. And yeah. so uh, you end up averaging somewhere around, like, if you're lucky, minimum wage for writing a book. But it's a labor of love, and Absolutely. I'm super proud of it. It's a super cool-looking book. And my publishers, all, like, I couldn't be happier having worked with them. Nice. Um, so uh, I do research. I partner with companies, and I, I do research, and we publish papers and white papers and all that. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, the big thing is that I consult. So I'm a behavioral, I'm an expert on applying behavioral science. Mm. So when a company is looking at their products, how do they connect with influencers, all these things, I developed a model for understanding those influencers and for connecting with them effectively. So I help design programs or I coach or consult with big, big uh, organizations uh, to make them successful in the way that they do that. Yeah. Because frankly, like, I'll give you a simple example that's a screw up. Uh, gifting. Mm -hmm. uh, you travel a lot. You go to all the major national events, right? Sure. You're probably like at Art Basel and whatever, right? Yep. You go into a gifting suite and somebody piles on five products and gives it to you and you throw it in the back and then what happens? Well, you know, you, well, later on you look at them, maybe you lose some, you give some away. Uh huh. If, if you're like a really good person, you take the time to post it on eBay. Right, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and then the brand spent a fortune being there. Yeah. They did get some like one-on-one -on -one time with you to some degree, yeah. and then uh, it's expensive to keep giving away all the product and shipping it and organizing it and mm -hmm. the logistics and manpower and all that. <coughs> now, we don't value what we're just being given. Right. Uh, so Dan Ariely developed this concept called the, um, the IKEA effect, 
which is that we disproportionately care about our IKEA furniture because we had to assemble it. Right. So that means that if we care about what we put effort into, then how do we, instead of giving somebody something, have them earn it so that mm -hmm. they care about it? Mm -hmm. So that's just a single concept, and I work with you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of concepts on how to actually apply them. Yeah. And so brands have been really responsive. And I also do a ton of public speaking. So yeah. unfortunately, public speaking rates are great. So, yeah. you know, you, a few gigs, one a month, two a month, sure. three a month, whatever. Uh, I could take the summer off if I need, like, wanted to. So. Nice. Yeah. Hey, if you're enjoying this one and you want to hear more about uh, influencers, kind of a different definition of the word influencer, but go back in the Rebel Radio archives. Check out my man, Justin Rezvani. He's the founder of the Amplify, which is a leading influencer agency and uh, marketing platform and all that stuff. He's got some fascinating stories about how he's building a really fast growing business in that space. First, let's finish up with John Levy. So, so yeah, maybe talk more about the brand stuff because I think, you know, I see it, I'm sure you see it a lot more than just brands getting it wrong. Oh my God. Left it's, and right. Uh, so it's, I wouldn't even say that. I'd say that we are looking at a situation where very few brands just do it right at all. Yeah. It's not like, oh, they're getting it wrong. It's that they're doing something. Some of it pa pays off, right? Like even if you buy ads, it generally pays off to some degree. It's just not the most effective way to do it, right? If you have an activation and ask people to tweet, you're getting something from it and it may have a return on investment, right? right. Bacardi having Alicia Keys perform at Art Basel, that whole thing cost, I'm sure, millions of dollars. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably the only person that remembers that it was Bacardi right. because I yeah, care yeah. about the brand stuff. Because everyone else thinks, oh, I saw Alicia Keys. Yeah. yeah. And now they're saying Bacardi, Bacardi, Bacardi for the three days because they're like, oh, are you gonna be at the Bacardi party? Oh yes, at the Bacardi. But short of those three days, I'm curious what that actually means for the brand. Like, how does that actually connect people emotionally, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that, that it just doesn't. So how do you, I know you said, you, you know, you've got. Uh, and let me emphasize oh, yeah. something. I, I don't blame the brands or the, uh, or the marketers of the brands, mm -hmm. because it's they're already overworked right. that they need to check off the boxes. Absolutely. Right? And what I blame is the selection of agencies mm -hmm. and the standards that these agencies hold themselves to. Mm -hmm. We know better. Mm -hmm. And um, and then the other thing that concerns me is that. Uh, when you do have somebody at a brand who's really willing to experiment and do something out of the box and it doesn't work out, they shouldn't be punished further, right? Like, the fact is that the punishment is that you work for months and then don't get to add it to your resume, right? right? Like, but brands have to experiment because it's yeah. going to be on more of the fringes that something stands out. So think about when you're able to successfully get that message through to a brand that you're consulting for, mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, it sounds like you have a lot of science backing up what you say. And One of my rules is that I will do research and find what can actually make an impact. Yeah. And I'm not going to tell you something's going to work unless I have a real reason to 
to believe it yeah. based on uh, actual evidence. Yeah. So the moment that somebody says, you know what would be a cool idea, that's the moment that you know you're in trouble. Right. Because it means that it wasn't necessarily reasoned out. It was like this I just thing that popped into their head yeah. that they have an emotional response to. Totally. And uh, so one, I generally know that it's going to be a bad idea. And two, it's probably not going to be effective. Yeah. And three, it's probably also going to be off-brand. But it's also important to explore ideas. Sure. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, so um, uh, go back a little bit to the personal side. And, you know, as you're talking, I, I hate to do this, but I'm going to put you in a category sure. of, of people that I... that I'm I might just leave if, if I don't like it. Yeah, sure. The, um, uh, this is my... This is my risk, I'm thinking, right? But no, you know, as a, like I see you in the category of Tim Ferriss, mm -hmm. of um, Morgan Spurlock, uh, of uh, Neil Strauss, mm -hmm. right? People who... It, so first of all, I'm flattered that I'd be in a category with any of these people because they're insanely successful. And I, I know Neil personally. Yeah. He's one of the greatest guys you, you could know. Uh, so for, thank you, because I, I don't think I'm anywhere uh, near them. But. Well, I think, you know, it's it's almost, you know, gonzo, not really journalism, mm -hmm. but, but living, right? Like yeah. throwing yourself into these scenarios for your own benefit and then sharing that with the rest of the world, right? And, yeah. and each of you that I, like, do that in different ways. But, um, but it, you know, it's a commitment. Yes. Right, and as you said, you're on a plane, you know, three days a week, and you, you know, you've got to, you know, the lines, it sounds like, between your business and your social life are very blurry. Yes, and they so are. You, you basically work 100% of the time. It's interesting because I don't know the last time I had a weekend off. Right. And yeah. I work every weekday. Right. Which is by design. Yeah. Right? And, and it doesn't mean that sometimes you may question that, but, but you created it that way. Yes. Um, so, like, I'm here at South by Southwest with you right now. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to be a good partner to Retail Me Not or RMN, uh, who I did a big research study with. Mm -hmm. So I, I flew in, but frankly, I wanted to just like chill out of course, yeah. uh, back home and actually see my friends. Yeah. So I guess my question is, and I, and I saw, I think it was Elle magazine called you one of America's most eligible bachelors. Uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, my question is, how long, how sustainable uh -huh. is this? for you and you know what happens if you're uh, you know I just read Neil's you know the truth mm -hmm. where he you know it's, it's it's essentially him undoing a lot of what he talked about in the game right yeah and so um, you know at what point like can you get married have children I don't know if that's part of the plan or not but but like and continue the life of adventure and, and all of that so I think that um one is it's a context, right? So can you get married and do all that? Yeah, if you are committed to living in the context of exploration and adventure. Sure. Now, the risks that you take might change, and you might lean more towards perceived risks, right? So yeah. me, I mean, let me think. So if I had kids, I wouldn't run with the bulls. Right. Uh, I also wouldn't try to do an ascent on Everest, mostly because I have no desire to kill myself like that. Um, but you might switch it out for perceived risks, like yeah. free diving. Free okay. diving, you hold your breath, you go underwater really deep. Uh, there's, I think, 
virtually no deaths yeah. when you follow the rules. Yeah. It's super, super safe. Um, and so, but it's still really exciting. So you, I think it's just a trade-off. And mm -hmm. maybe you have to be more planned about the adventures that you do when you have kids, mm -hmm. depending on the lifestyle you want. I know people who pull their kids from school, homeschool them on a boat, and travel the world. Yeah. So the options exist. It's just, what do you, like, what do you actually care about? Yeah. And you don't have to make a commitment for the rest of your life that, you know, you're going to live on a boat. You could do it for a year and sure. then come back to school. Yeah. Right. Uh, so were you, are you conscious of that when you're sort of creating this vision for yourself? Mm -hmm. Is it like, you know, this is the rest of my life? Is it I'm going to do this for it's three like years? It's like three years. Or is it just I, like... I barely plan more than... There are certain strategies that I have that are much, much longer term. Yeah. So I... One of the reasons that I think it's important to have diversity in the influencers community is that I knew at one point I'm going to need to know a lot of journalists. Right. So I planned that out like years in advance, mm -hmm. but I didn't pick the journalists because I needed something from them, but right. I knew that I would need to understand something. And now I contribute to a lot of outlets, and it was you know three years in the making. Yeah. Um, so I tend not to plan more than a year out, uh, and I feel like my life changes so dramatically from year to year. Mm -hmm. um, but I, uh, I, as far as like the kids and all that, I don't know. I, I might get married. I sure. might have kids. Yeah. Uh, the research on kids is not encouraging at all. That's not to say that you shouldn't have kids. I'm not advocating Fair enough. Uh, any of that. And are you a father? I am a father. Yes. But, so, but I am aware of a lot of the challenges. <laughs> yeah, the research suggests that people's happiness reduces dramatically until the kids are out of school. Like, there's all this uh, stuff around it. And so, I... I think that, I, I mean, that's another uh, conversation. Hopefully we'll get to have sometime. Mm -hmm. But I, I have... A, I have uh, too much research, but but a lot strong theories about why that is. I think it's largely to do with misplaced expectations. Possibly, I mean, there's I, and I can run you through this after. But, um, so. I I would say that when I look at designing my life, though. There's one characteristic that I look for, uh, I think more than anything, and that's remarkability, mm. and the reason is that. As a species, we've passed down our knowledge for millennia through an oral history. And if it's not remarkable, if it's not worth remarking about or talking about, it's not culturally significant. Yeah. And so if I'm going to do something, I only want to do it if I'm going to do it in a way that's remarkable. And that's a lot of the issue is that people want like videos to go viral and all these other things. but none of it's remarkable right and so if it's not worth communicating it's going to disappear yeah absolutely well i know we're almost out of time and you've got to get to a plane mm -hmm. um, i have a quick um kind of speed round that i like to do with everyone awesome. but before we get to that i have one last question which is um what you know as you've gone through this what's been the what's been the toughest challenge the biggest you know the worst day and, and how have you how'd you overcome wow and we're talking specifically about um well I the think, influencers or? yeah or, or more broadly like you you've you've crafted you know you've crafted your life around this this vision mm -hmm. 
right? And so are there, like we always hit... The worst, well, one of the worst was when I found out I had a stalker. That was not oh, wow. pleasant. Uh, and like may have hacked digitally. Like it was just oh, a miserable yeah. experience and people in my life were being adversely affected and I had to get, you know, security specialists and all that. Well, so when that happens, do you question the mission? Like, is there, are there points I, in that where you I say, question maybe I being public. Yeah. So uh, there's two things. One is I, um, I'm incredibly thankful that the community was there because everything I needed was like when I needed an expert at this company or that company, yeah. like people just were like, oh yeah, sure, here's an intro <laughs> to the head of security for whatever, right? Like a big company. Yeah. Uh, and that was very helpful. Um, then the second uh, thing is, yeah, I very much questioned my, I'm, I'm not super famous, but I'm well known enough that like mm -hmm. I get stopped on the street sometimes or I'll, uh, or I'll mention the name of my company and people are like, oh, that's you? Oh my God. And, you know, I'm so whatever, right? Yeah. Pay me some compliments or people ask to take photos with me, which is, I think, the weirdest thing in the world because the, even if they post the photo, no one will right. know who I am. Sure. Um, and so I questioned for a while uh, being living a public lifestyle. How'd you get through it? Um, I spoke to people who are actually <laughs> have yeah. public lifestyles, like my celebrity friends. Yeah. And they're like, okay, this is what you need to know, what you need to get on lockdown from a security standpoint. Mm. Uh, I often don't post when I'm in a city. Right. Uh, so post after. Yeah, yeah, and stuff like that. Wow. Um, but it's, and I thought it was really weird that somebody was stalking me to begin with. Like, I'm, sure. I think I do interesting stuff, but I'm not like, right. <laughs> I'm not a famous model or musician or something that yeah they're much more uh there are a lot more people out there that you could have uh, a crush on that are more uh appealing i think um, um cool okay speed run yeah so uh if you can go back and give one piece of advice to your 18 year old self what would it be um fail fast and fail often mm. So uh, put yourself out there, meet as many people as possible, uh, and just get out there and learn and learn and learn to communicate with people and to connect with them. Mm -hmm. what, what talent or skill have you always wished you had more of? Oh, I'd love to play an instrument. Yeah? I, I have a voice that can hit like five notes, but nothing above or below <laughs> that. So like occasionally people are like, wow, you have a really good voice, and then they hear a little bit more and they're like, yeah. <laughs> well, good luck in science. <laughs> uh, and what uh, instrument would you play? Um, wow, well, I think uh, guitar makes the most sense. Oh, cool! Uh, because it's most portable, <coughs> let's say, right? Like you, every, anywhere you go, you'll have a guitar. Like you won't necessarily have a saxophone everywhere. They're yeah. really loud. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I think uh, skills. Uh, I think it would be really would have been wonderful to have trained more competitively in an athletic mm. endeavor. Cool. Uh, I trained in martial arts for years, uh, very intensely. And then I take on a lot of physical challenges, but my body's kind of been injured pretty bad from the bull. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so yeah, that's, that's it. Okay. Um, so my, my Tony Robbins question, what other career would you choose if you knew you couldn't fail? 
what other career? I guess that sort of ruins your uh, living outside your comfort zone. If I knew I couldn't fail. I, I can't imagine, like, there's glamorous looking careers like being a successful actor, a musician, but the lifestyle itself isn't that glamorous. Like, yeah. it, the, there's that old adage about, uh, or story about the businessman who meets the fisherman. Do you know mm -hmm. the story? And uh, the fisherman no. is like fishing from the local pier in this beautiful town in Italy or Spain or something like that. And the fisherman says, uh, and the, the businessman says, oh my God, this is amazing. You have the best fish. We should turn this into a company. Uh, and he's like, okay, what would we do? And he's like, well, first we'd you know, brand it, we'd package, we'd ship it, we'd get it shipping all over the world. Then we'd expand. And in like 15, 20, 30 years, you'll be able to, uh, to exit the company and you'll be oh, a yeah. multi, multi-millionaire. And he's like, okay, and what would I do then? He goes, well, then you could retire. You could do whatever you want. You could get a boat and go fish. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> you realize the futility of it. Right. So I live the lifestyle I want. Okay. Um, That's great. So I don't know. I would want to do it at a higher level. Uh -huh. uh, I'd like to be a, a more famous author. That would mm -hmm. be kind of fun or have a TV show or something. But that stuff's probably going to happen. Sure. Um, so I think it's, it's that I really enjoy that there's constant incremental improvement mm. um, in what I do. That's cool. Uh, and so I'd be open to just about any career that could provide that. Yeah. Uh, as long as I get to interact with great people. Nice. So if I worked for you, mm -hmm. what's something I would hear you say over and over? Um, uh, wow, what would you hear me say all over, over and over? Uh, uh, you'd probably hear me uh, babble about Dan Kahneman's research or uh, Dan Ariely's uh, or like behavioral scientists just over and over again hammering in the idea of like how to connect more effectively. Yeah. Um, I would, you'd constantly hear me talk about systemizing things. I'm mm. a big productivity hacker. Nice. So I have a very sophisticated system that involves a series of virtual assistants and automations mm -hmm. and everything. Uh, and so I would always be looking for the system and how to model something so that it becomes more effective. Is there one productivity tip you could leave us with? Uh, yes. I think the most important productivity tip is uh, not doing certain things. Mm. So like, yeah. you, I'll give you like the simplest. People like file their emails. Right. It's pointless. Just yeah. search. Yeah. It's faster and doesn't, you like, sure. you never go into those folders. You run a search anyway. Uh, you don't need to respond to thank you emails with your welcome. Like, it's just cluttering everybody's inbox. Right. Stop, just stop it, right? Like, unsubscribe from everything. You don't really need deals of the day. You don't yeah. need, like, you don't need distractions. Yeah. Like, it's first and foremost, just eliminate. Mm -hmm. Eliminate, eliminate. And then from there, you can actually begin to, you'll have the bandwidth to do other things. Mm -hmm. But the easiest way to have something not on your to-do list is to delete it from your to-do list. <laughs> Um, who would you be most excited to learn as a fan of your work? Uh, that's a great question. Um, maybe Barack Obama. Uh, I think that if... Uh, if well, he, he listens can. to our show, so... Yes. He's, so, uh, Barack, Big fan. You're, uh, you, you may 
what, check your inbox. You may get an invite to an influencer dinner. Uh, we'll see. You'll have to earn your. <laughs> That's right. Your, uh, your man. Um, you'll have to work for it. Uh, I think it'd be great. Uh, Stanley. Oh, cool. Uh, I'd love for Stanley to be a fan. <laughs> Stan of does not listen to the show, so uh, sorry. But maybe one day. Maybe. Uh, and then cool. I would love, I mean, like, you know, it's a, the classic answers would be great. These great thinkers. Uh, but if if there was, if Dan, I, well, I know Dan Kahneman. Uh, mm -hmm. We're not super close, but I know him. But, like, to know that Dan Kahneman or people of that caliber yeah. uh, were fans of my work, it would be just incredible because fundamentally, I don't think I'll ever escape the self-image of, like, being this geeky teenager. Of course. And so yeah. it's very affirming that I'm doing something right if titans like that are yeah. our fans. Um, so as an author, I'm always curious what authors are reading. So what's the, what's the last great book you read or the one that's had a huge impact on you? Uh, so I'm, I read a ton. Yeah. I really enjoyed uh, Robert Cialdini's new book, mm. uh, Persuasion. Mm -hmm. I think he's the father of kind of this influence industry. Yeah. Uh, from the scientific standpoint. And he's a brilliant genius, and I think the biggest compliment I've been paid in years was when Lewis Howes said that I'm, what happens when you mix Robert Cialdini and Indiana Jones. Oh yeah, that's great. And so, uh, Love it. and that was super flattering, and, yeah. and you know, uh, Lewis is a brilliant, brilliant guy, yeah. so. Um, what movie have you seen the most in your life? Uh, Aladdin. Oh, yeah. Probably, and as a teenager, all it right. would just be like you know people would be over for the weekend constantly because yeah. I live in Manhattan, and all my yeah. camp friends would come in, and it would be on like at least once a weekend. Nice. Um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh huh. Uh, Goonies. Okay. Um, it's usually about like a ragtag group of misfits that okay. their combined powers can overcome any challenge. That's oh, the kind that's of cool. movies that I really enjoy. Yeah, um, that's a great thing. So yeah, and then I've probably seen like. Transformers a million times just because it's like a good hangover movie. Yeah. Like you throw it on and fall asleep to it. Hilarious. Um, okay, last one. Favorite DJ or uh, or musician that you've seen live? Oh wow, I don't go much to live performances. Um, there's kind of obscure, but there's this guy called Norwegian Recycling who's a mashup. Uh, do you know Norwegian? No, Recycling? that's. Uh, I love hearing about. I don't know if he, he's produced anything in a long time, but I, he does these really complex mashups. It's in the same vein as like pop anthology. Uh -huh. uh, Daniel, Daniel Kim is that his name? I, I mean, I know my name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just think it's very clever when you can combine disparate things mm -hmm. in uh, a way that's really engaging. And fundamentally, people don't want something new. They want something... Uh, old wrapped in a new way right. and I think mashups do that in yeah. a, a great way and it's a skill set like you can't you know you can't phone that in it either works or it doesn't yeah it's great um, awesome how, how does everyone find you online uh, my website's John Levy TLB that's J-O-N L-E-V-Y T like Thomas L like line B like boy uh, dot com and then I'm John Levy TLB uh, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, like literally anywhere. You can find me, you can reach out. I'm pretty accessible. Well, I encourage everyone, uh, go get the book. 
It's called the 2AM Principle, Discover the Science of Adventure. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anything you want. And also uh, get successful enough that you get an invite to the Influencer Dinner. <laughs> That's my advice to all of you. John, thanks for doing this. Uh, it's awesome. my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yo, that was John Levy live at South by Southwest. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, sign up for Dropbox if you don't already have a Dropbox. I'm sure everybody listening already has a Dropbox, but you can check out Dropbox Paper, which is their uh, collaboration tool that's really cool we've been using. And uh, most importantly, listen to Rebel Radio. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. I don't know, ask your uh, local neighborhood ice cream man if he's, he's got Rebel Radio. Come back next week for more.